Go ahead and have a seat, guys. We are going to, I'm going to set this over here. <laughs> and I'm going to put this guy on. All the little steps. We're going to, I think we're going to finish up this series today, guys. I know we've been, we've been at it, right? Hopefully, this does what it's supposed to do. All right. So we have been doing this series called Expand Church. And it's, in, in short, simply put, it's the idea that there's this strong, strong temptation to want to make church Basically just this, like a time, a day, a place, a gathering, and kind of like a, a face that you put on, kind of like a mask. You have your church mask. And if that's all that church is, you can actually practice that and get really good at it. And maybe you have experience with that. Maybe you know what it's like to practice the church game and perfect it even. And people are like, how are you doing, bro? And you're like, I'm great. And they're like, good. And then you leave and you don't see them for a week. And then you come back and you put the mask back on. So what we've talked about up, up until this point is we kind of recapped our big three. Our church is family, even with all its dysfunction and mess. Church is kingdom, lordship. God is our king. Church is mission. There is a rescue plan that God is wanting to partner with and, and have us engage in. Then Damon did. Church is not a meeting, and he talked about the body. Church is the body of Christ. And then uh, last week, what was last week? Does anybody remember? The football one, yep. We ha- it was Super Bowl. We have to, uh, we have to train We have to anticipate things. We have to see things coming. We have to have a vision. And so today, I think, is going to be the last one. And we are going to talk about church is uh, a hospital. And this is a common analogy that is used for church. And I want to, uh, I just want to continue that and, and push it forward. There's a scripture, kind of the scripture that a lot of people think of when I, if I were to say, hey, church is a hospital. Uh, you might think of this scripture. Mark 2, 16 through 17. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is, an amazing scripture where Jesus is like, hey, you guys, you think you're fine, so I'm not even here for you. Now, he was there for them, okay? You have to admit, Jesus was there for everybody. But I, I got to be honest, I've even struggled with this here in Grand Rapids. This is a very religious town, guys. And there's part of me that's like, hey, if you think you're fine, then fine, whatever. I'm not here to, like, convince you you're not fine. I want people who know they're not fine. 
I want to find, I know there's people in Grand Rapids that are like, I am not okay spiritually. And those are the people I want to like pour my life into helping. But this is an example where Jesus is like, hey, let's, let's talk about health. And you feel like you're okay. You don't need a doctor. So if I were an actual doctor, you wouldn't be showing up. And so I want to look at, I want to look at this example of the hospital, health care, and relate it to spiritual care. And I want to look at, like, our, are we focused more on our spiritual health, where we're being honest with ourselves and we're honestly assessing ourselves, or are we just going to practice the church game? And hopefully, this will spark something in you. So my first point is just health. Now, some of this is going to be taken from a midweek I did a year ago. I don't know if you remember this, but a year ago, uh, I wasn't doing that good, guys. And Jen literally bought me a plane ticket to Arizona. And she was like, you got to get out of here, man. Go visit your parents. And, uh, and while I was in Arizona, if you remember, we had our midweeks over Zoom, and I did a midweek from Arizona with my parents' paneled wall behind me um, about spiritual health. So this point is actually taken from that lesson, okay? And so I want to, uh, I want to talk about the idea of health versus uh, just looking good at, on the outside. This is a very interesting scripture. Mark 12, 28 through 31. This is the, the two greatest commandments. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And I just want to, to, to start there because when we're talking about spiritual health, we're not talking about church, we're not talking about religion, we're not talking about what we do here. When we talk about spiritual health, we're talking about this. And I'm going to boil it down to these two statements. Love God and love people. If you want to be spiritually healthy, not not just look like a good churchgoer on the outside, but if you want to be spiritually healthy, you have to learn how to love God and love people. And you're like, man, I, I do love God. It's that people part that's a little more challenging. Well, don't be so sure about that either. Because, man, it's easy to say you love God and then, like, leave it at the surface. Everything flows from this, if we're talking about spiritual health. So everything we do as a church community should spring from one of these wells. It should flow out of my love of God or my love of people. There's no way I could manufacture a church service that's so perfect and I could sing and do all the stuff up here and we could have the best coffee and we could have the best AV and all that stuff and that will make you love God because it doesn't flow upstream. 
There's no way I'm going to, like, come up with the best slide that you're going to be like, now I love people. Thank you so much for that slide. That PowerPoint was just perfect. Now, now it's easy to love people. It's never going to happen. Everything flows from our love of God and our love of people because that is health. And so here are, uh, we're, we're, we're actually trying to build a medical community of people in our church here. Gates is, Gates is working with me on this, okay? But we're trying to build people that like help fix people. Uh, we have two vital systems in our body. These are, these, some would say these are our most vital, but pretty, kind of every system in our body is pretty vital. What are these? Cardiovascular system and the nervous system. The center of the cardiovascular system is the heart, and everything gets pumped out of that. Do we have any cardiac rehab people? <laughs> The center of your nervous system is your brain. And then every kind flows through your nerves and your spinal cord and your nerves out from that. I want us to think of our love of God and our love of people as these two systems that exist in the same body. They're not di- directly connected to each other. They, they influence one another. And if, you, if you're having a heart attack, your nervous system is firing off some crazy messages to the rest of your body right now. If you have neural pain, that can mess up everything. You can talk to Gates about that. But these are two systems that are vital for our survival. And yet, it, let's say you had a major obstruction or occlusion with like one of your main arteries. Uh, but you knew, well, what does... What, 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 is a, what does a strong, healthy person do? They, they go for a run. So I'm going to go for a run. And you think that you can run, your, run the plaque out of your arteries. And you know, running is good. You should go for a run. But, if, but guys, if you, if you need a stent, if you're, like, if, you're, if you're at 20% blood flow because of the buildup in your arteries, like, you need to go to a hospital. Like, you need to go see a cardiologist. And if you decide, well, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do the things on the outside that healthy people do, but not address the actual symptoms. Like if you had sciatica or something, you had like a serious pinched nerve, and you're like, well, I just need to pretend it's not there. <laughs> like you can try that, but it's not going to work because you're ignoring one of the vital systems at work in your body. In the same way, if your love for God is obstructed, there's no way that you can just buckle down and put your nose to the grindstone, grindstone and learn how to play church better. It's not going to work. It's just going to make you more fake. If your love of others is obstructed, I'm begging you, don't just double down and learn how to play church better. You need to be open and tell people, like, I'm a mess. I have a problem. I have had to say that. I have had to be honest with my minister and be like, I don't know if I love God. If I can, I just be really honest. And he was totally cool. He was like, yeah, that's everybody at some point in their life. Spiritual health is understanding the vital systems. Loving God, loving people. Addressing root problems before we come up with this fake solution of just going through the motions. So that's kind of like my intro. Here's, here's point number one. And for each one of these, I'm going to try to uh, relate it to like actual healthcare. So this one I call performance 
It's basically the idea of like, there's this end goal, and I want, I want to get there, but not pay any attention to what's going on inside of me. And if you remember from that midweek, uh, I think I may have shocked some people by throwing this picture up on the screen. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen, okay? I'm just warning you now. <laughs> this, is, this is a bodybuilder. He is seriously ripped. And you may have opinions about this guy and his appearance. Some of you may be like, dang, that dude is ripped. I want to, be, I want to look something like that. Uh, some of you may be like, that looks slightly disgusting. I don't want to look anything like that. Um, but here, here's what I want to say about this guy. This guy is, is a real person. His name is Alexander. Alexander Serdak. And he is dead. And he died at the age of 35. Because his goal was his, his appearance. His physique. Get that, you know, the veins and the muscles just right. And yet, at the time of his death... His heart was a disaster. His cardiovascular health was abominable. And he was severely malnourished. And yet, if you've ever seen like bodybuilding, behind the scenes bodybuilding tournaments, where these guys are, they look in front of the judges, they're doing all of this for this one little thing in front of a judge to pose and and get judged based on their appearance. But there's videos of these guys backstage passing out and fainting and being rushed to the hospital. Because they, they focus on the outside to the detriment of the inside. And they are so concerned about the way they look. Just Google bodybuilders who die. It's all the time. It's, it's, it's horrible. But I want us to see that there are spiritual truths in that. And that might be you. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about these three things. Giving, fasting, and praying. These are the when you scriptures. Because he doesn't say if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. He says you got to be careful. Because you might be doing it just to be seen by other people. He says, and you've got to be very careful when you give, if you're giving so that people see you. Like, hey guys, you got everybody, see, everybody watching this? Look at, thank you God for this amazing bounty I'm putting into the collection box at the temple. And everyone's like, ooh, that guy's spiritual. And Jesus is like, that guy's getting his praise right now. His reward that he wants, he's getting it. And it's all these oohs and ahs. He doesn't want... God to actually be pleased with his offering. Fasting was another one. He's like, hey, when you fast, like, like clean yourself up. Like, fix your face, man. Because some of you guys are going around like, and I've seen this, and I I don't rebuke people, but there's, there's brothers that have been like, we were like, hey, you guys want to go out? We're going out to, uh, going out to eat after midweek or whatever. And they're like, oh, I'd love to, bro, but fasting, man, I can't, fasting for this and that. I'm like, okay. And I, I literally, for their spiritual health, my job at that point is to, like, ignore them. <laughs> I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, or did you want me to pat you on the back and say, like, oh, you're so spiritual. 
Because we can turn Christianity into a performance. We can turn Christianity into the show. Everything we do as a church outwardly, and there are lots of them, and they're not bad. They're good and they're vital and even serving yesterday. Like, all the things that we do are great, but we have to be careful that we're not building this shell with nothing inside. The things we do at church should demonstrate health. Love of people, love of God. They should not try to create it, and they shouldn't try to replicate it or fake it. And so here's my, here's my sentence. You can look strong and still be very unhealthy. And that's the same for the bodybuilders, and it's the same for Christians. We even talked about that, um, I think, I, we've, I've had several talks like this recently, talking about strength and weakness. And when, when Paul's like, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's awesome, because we're so tempted to make it look like we have it all together. We're so spiritual, and we're so not struggling, and I'm okay. And that's like spiritual bodybuilders. You can be so focused on the outward appearance that spiritually you die of malnutrition while you're flexing and posing for the crowds. We have to have outward like, displays of our love for God. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a requirement. God, God's like, hey, this is, that's why we call it fruit. Like, love of God, outward displays of that love of God. Love of people, outward displays of that love in people. There should be demonstrations all the time. It should be obvious. People should see it. But every single one of you is going to be tempted with making a shortcut. Skip loving God. That's too hard. When you really think about, what does it mean to love God? It's not just like, oh, I love God. Like, oh no, there's way more to it. Every single one of us is going to be tempted to shortcut the hard work of loving God. The hard work of loving people. And skip right to the result. This is the thing that people see, so this is the thing I get praised for, so this is the thing I'm going to work on. And you neglect spiritual health. Alright, point two. Rehab. <laughs> Or physical training, or physical therapy, or let's say you go to the hospital. Let's say you go to the hospital, and depending on whatever your illness or your ailment is, and you come home with a, like a course of action your doctor gave you. Sometimes they're called doctor's orders, right? Let's say you were in a car crash, and you like broke your leg and your pelvis, like a really mangled crash. Like You're going to be told, like, well, you need to go through some therapy. You, you might have to learn how to walk again. Like, you're going to have to go through some stuff. And so, that's part of your course there. But sometimes you come home with a prescription, right? Like, hey, take this, or an antibiotic, or it's a painkiller. Like, so, here's a prescription. I want you to take it. These are what we call doctor's orders. And guys, i got to be honest. I am notoriously bad at following doctor's orders. <laughs> Jen will tell you. There have been several times where I've gone to the doctor for something that was wrong with me, and then he's like, all right, so here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. I'm not going to get into any specifics right now, but here's what you need to do. And I'm like, thanks, doc. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Get back to life as normal. Sometimes with disastrous consequences. There's times where I'm like, why didn't I just like, do what he told me to do? You ignore their advice. You ignore instructions. 
You, want, you go about doing whatever you thought you should do. Almost always, healing requires a change in lifestyle. I'm going to say that again. Almost always, healing requires a change in lifestyle. We want a healthy life, but we don't want to actually live a healthy lifestyle. And that's true for physical health, and that is true for spiritual health. I want to read this very funny story. I think it's funny. In the Bible. I love the Gospels. Here here we go. John 5. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Which seems like a silly question to us. This is what the guy said. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. All right, so if you don't know the story, there was this pool and it was kind of like a mythology or a, 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 like this idea that an angel would come and stir the waters and the first one down in there would be healed. And so this guy, he can't walk. And so he needs someone to help him. And he never gets the help uh, in a timely enough manner. Jesus says, hey, do you want to get well? And he's like, I, yeah, of course. He doesn't say that. But it's kind of implied, like, maybe the answer might be no. So Jesus says, do you want to get well? He's like, I don't have anyone to help me. He's like, you don't need this stupid pool. Just get up and walk and miraculously heals him, okay? But that's not the end of this story. What's really crazy about this story is this. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And theologians scratch their heads at this one. They're like, what, you, what, what does that mean? Like, what happened? Lots of theologians have speculated like, okay, Jesus came back to the temple and saw this man doing something that kind of set off an alarm in Jesus' mind. And so he said, I, I need to warn this guy. Some of my favorite theories, and these are all just pure speculations. We have no clue what the man was doing. Some people think that maybe... He was, uh, he didn't know how to work. He'd been, he'd been begging for 38 years, and so all he knew how to do for, to make money was beg. So some people think that maybe he went back to the temple and pretended he couldn't walk. And he just sat down and begged, and everyone knows him as the beggar. So that's easier than now having to learn a trade and figure things out. So he took the healing, but then didn't change his lifestyle. I, wanna, I just want what's easy. Some people think, well, maybe it's even maybe a little more scandalous than that. Maybe with his newfound virility and strength and abilities, maybe he got himself into some, like, sexual impurity, and Jesus knows about that. Jesus is like, hey, 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 you might not think I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing, man. Quit it. Cut it out. That's not why I gave you the use of the lower half of your body. But some people think that maybe it could be something totally different than that. Like, he, 
he didn't know what to do, so he took an easy job. Like maybe, it says he was at the temple when Jesus saw him. Maybe, maybe he got a job that Jesus just didn't agree with, like working at the money lending tables or the changing tables, or something like that. This is all speculation. We have no idea what this guy was doing. But whatever it was, Jesus said, hey dude, I need to warn you about the way that you're living right now. And it is not good. Jesus thought it was worth a warning. And if you're, if you're a Christian and you're here this morning, this is kind of my job. I, I see it as part of my job when I, when I preach to warn people. Like, hey, if you see this in your heart, you should be worried. Some of you were healed spiritually, yet might be living like this man in a way that could ruin that. Healing must be accompanied by a change in lifestyle. We're reading this book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. But he talks about this. The, the changes that need to happen on the other side of believing in Jesus. Like, you believe in Jesus, that's great. But then what? Why do we claim to follow Jesus when we refuse to live like Jesus? We have popularized the idea that belief in Jesus and claiming to be a follower is the key to salvation, a good life, and eternity in heaven. All, and we can do that. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to claim to be a follower of Jesus. And what I want out of that is salvation, a good life, and eternity in heaven. And while I say those things, I'm going to ignore what Jesus said. I'm going to ignore the way Jesus lived. And I'm going to ignore the radical implications that it would have on my life, day to day, if I actually did it. It would be like you were shot <laughs> in a carjacking. They take you to the hospital, and you want someone to like come over, and you'd be like, you're fixed. Go on and just do again whatever you were doing. You want to go forth good as new without ever taking on any personal responsibility to change the way I live. But it never works that way. This is part of lordship, guys. If you say Jesus is Lord, like what does that mean? Church is a hospital and there are doctor's orders. And I'm not the doctor. My job is literally, if we're thinking, and and all of us, we're like the techs. Like, in, in the hospital where I used to work, the techs had the red scrubs. So you could see them from a million miles away. Like, basically, what it meant was, you're a nobody. <laughs> like, your job is to, like, push wheelchair from room to room or something like that. Like, you don't have, you can't prescribe anything. You can't, you, you have barely any schooling. Like, you just, you're a tech. And honestly, guys, I feel like that's my job. If church is a hospital, I am not the doctor. My job is literally just to help you Go see the doctor. But church is a hospital and there are doctor's orders. And that is part of our lordship. All right, I got one last one. Then we're going to wrap up. Trauma. This is the one that I wish I didn't have to discuss. But if we're going to be honest about church as a hospital, we we have to talk about this. You know, in hospitals, I worked in a hospital for nine years. Jen's worked in hospitals. Like, one of the things that I did was we worked on a, 
a, a training simulation study revolving around medical errors. And I worked on this for several years where we would, we would set up simulations in the unit with actual staff and we'd bring in actors from the community to play patients and stuff. We made it as realistic as humanly possible. And then we found stress points in our communication system, stress points in the relationship between doctors and nurses and PAs. We found like places like, hey, I think this could be a problem. Let's push on that and see if it actually is a problem. And we found some crazy stuff, guys. We found... We asked doctors to purposefully say the wrong thing to see if nurses would actually question them. And nurses didn't. Uh, We saw timing things. We saw communication go bad. Where someone would like not repeat an order back and the doctor would assume that it happened and now I told you and you're going to take care of it. And they didn't take care of it. And so the reality is sometimes you go to a hospital and you get hurt. Sometimes people actually get hurt at hospitals. Things like misdiagnoses, infections, surgical mistakes, drug errors. There was a study a long time ago called To Err is Human, and it it talks about this. And it's real. You go to a hospital, and there's a chance that the people that are there to help you actually end up hurting you. And it's super sad. But then there's the reaction to this. And I want to be extremely, like, balanced here. That is true. But the problem is, like, some of the data in that study was then extrapolated and exaggerated and quoted and quoted and quoted and misquoted and misquoted. And it turned out to be this thing that got said over and over and over again that sowed a lot of mistrust in the healthcare community. It got to the point where doctors would be like, stop saying that. It's not true. But it just kept getting repeated and repeated. The the, the statistic was that medical errors are the third leading cause of death in America. And it was extrapolated from the study. And this isn't the sermon about that. But what happened is that people were not going to the doctor because they were like, well, you're not going to help me. You're going to hurt me. I could go and die. So I'm not going to go. And so is healthcare mistakes real? Yep. Does that mean that you should, like, never trust a doctor for the rest of your life? No. Do you see where I'm going with this spiritually? It is true that if you go to the hospital, and the hospital that is church, someone that is supposed to care for you might end up hurting you. But that doesn't mean that hospitals are horrible places, and it doesn't mean that churches are horrible places. But we have to be able to discuss Religious trauma. Now, this is not the same. If you, if you were to Google religious trauma syndrome, that's a different thing that, that's actually like professionals have coined. And that is describing someone who decides, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to be a Christian. And then they feel like leaving has caused lots of like scorn and shame. And so that's a thing, religious trauma syndrome. Th- there's another part, just religious trauma, which is that, that us as a church community or me as a minister, I could say something that could make you feel like, if I go against what he's saying, I'm, I'm being a bad Christian. And we don't realize that the people who say things, their words have a lot of weight, and they have to be handled with care. And this was the same back in Paul's day. This is Paul telling Timothy about false teachers. 
He says, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And throughout the epistles, we see the apostles dealing with people who are shady, starting up their own churches, splitting churches, saying, and then exerting influence over people in ways that was very dangerous. Here's what Paul says about his own ministry to the Corinthians. He says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. And this is Paul saying, hey guys, I want you to know, my life ain't easy as a minister. And if you think that I'm in this for like the cushiness, I hope it's obvious that that's not the case. And what I hope that does is it, it builds trust between us. And we deal with this now. We deal with people from all different kinds of faith communities that have, that have like been traumatized. And there's a good friend of mine, Kyle Spears, who has a, uh, his own like podcast and YouTube channel called Truth, Trauma, and Theology. And this one with Dr. Diane Langberg, they talk about healing religious trauma. And it's real. And as a minister, as a church leader, there's part of me that wants to pre- pretend that this doesn't exist. Just like if I were a hospital administrator, I would want to pretend that my doctors never make any mistakes. Oh, our hospital, we have no errors. And it would be easy to just like fake the numbers and underreport all that stuff. And... But I need to know, if, I, if I'm serious, if I'm serious about creating a spiritually healthy environment, we have to take this seriously. So here's what I want to say about it, okay? I, we can't minimize religious trauma. But I just need to tell you guys, but don't make it up either when it's not really there. Don't fabricate religious trauma that's not actually valid. A spiritually healthy church has to be the one that understands its power to harm each other. And then we work really hard to avoid that. We have to know, like, hey, when I tell you if I say the words, well, a good Christian would blank, and I and then fill in the blank with what I think you should be doing, and I never say, hey, that's my opinion. <laughs> or, here's another one, we say, well, my conviction about this is, and then we put our opinions on other people, we don't realize that we're, we're trying to hope that the, the power of spiritual authority can, you know, influence them. I know that the words I use carry a weight that can help people or can hurt people. And you do too. You can use your words to help and hurt people. And that's why I think about you guys and I think about like even when we're putting lessons together and I'm like, man, what do they need? And I really do consider like, man, what do you need to hear at this moment right now? But I also think well, what's the, what's the best way to say that so that I'm not just like throwing shame on people and like trying to hurt, wound people? And you need to do the same thing. Not just what do they need to hear, but what's the best way to say it? 
How can we as a community help one another and minimize harm? But then there's the flip side, guys. There will always be this temptation to fabricate trauma where none actually existed. And why is that? Well, it's because one of the things that we deal with in the church community and the spiritual battle is conviction. And that worldly, that, that godly sorrow where, man, I'm doing something that is not right. And you feel the spirit burning inside of you. You go, I need to change. But that feeling, you can, be, you can take what the spirit is doing in you, you can be like, you did this to me. How dare you? We can grow to hate conviction and call it traumatic. Even over the last like five to ten years, this didn't happen. I didn't see this like 20 years ago. Over the last five to ten years, this whole idea of like, oh, that person, that person's toxic. And I'm going to set up some boundaries so that I'm protected from them. Now, are there toxic people? Yeah, yes. Are boundaries helpful? Yes. But man, I've seen this go wildfire. People are like separating themselves from everybody in their life that could help them. I hope that we can raise the level of trust in this community to a place where you can have conversations. Where I trust that you won't hurt me. And even when we have conversations where the spirit burns within me, I go, that is not, that's not Steve hurting me. And Paul talks about this in the godly and worldly sorrow. He's like, yes, you were hurt, but you weren't hurt by me. Because you, you felt sorrow the way God wanted you to feel sorrow. And man, where's the line? I don't know where the line is. That's why we have to like love each other. I promise that I won't hurt you because I know that I could and I won't. And you trust that I won't hurt you. But if the spirit is burning in your heart, you won't shut me out. So here's my three, here's my three uh, practicals, okay? And then Gates is going to do our uh, communion. Practical number one, we need to practice self-awareness. This goes back to what is health? We need to learn how to examine the heart. We talked about this at our campus, Devo, on Friday, like, man, we need to learn how to diagnose what's going on inside spiritually. We can't just, like, look on the, on the surface, look on the outside, judge people by what's going on there. on their outside. I need to practice self-awareness. Like, my heart is messed up. And even though I look good on the outside, I'm messed up, and I need help. Practice self-awareness. We need to understand lordship. Guys, there's some doctor's orders. Everyone who experiences healing has to change lifestyle. But you can't say Jesus is Lord and then live as if you are Lord. And then the last one is just relationships. we got to get good at talking to one another and trusting one another and not doubting each other's motives and believing in each other, having vision and hope for one another. And there's no shortcuts to any of these things, guys. There's nothing that I can say right now in this sermon that's going to make you be like, that was my aha moment. I'm going, I, I shall go forth and be a spiritual person. Like, no, let's be honest. In the same way the doctor would be like, hey, yeah, you were in a car crash. 
you have a long road ahead of you for healing. But if we can start to work on these things, and I feel like these three things, I've been saying these three things for two years now. If we can keep working on these things, my prayer is that we can have a community that is so healthy. We love God, and it shows. We love people, and it shows. And we're not just trying to play church better and better. Amen? Guys, I thank you, and I love you. And at this time, uh, Gates and Mayer is going to have our communion. Come on up.